Hello, everybody, and welcome to a bonus episode of the Here We Are podcast. We're releasing five episodes a month now, so I'm, I'm calling it a bonus episode. There's nothing in the future I might, uh, I've been considering maybe using some bonus episodes to like try um, just being experimental and doing some different things. But uh, for now, I'm just excited to get more of these out there. This is just uh, the next one in the queue. It's a really fun episode. And a big part of this is I am now uh, two years sober. Well, not sober. I do all sorts of mind-altering things. Not all sorts, but here and there. I'm, I'm not opposed to uh, drugs or mind-altering states in any way. But I, I quit smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol two years ago. There are two worst drugs on earth, as far as I'm concerned. Some people have very healthy relationships with alcohol. I did not. I think most people um, uh, have a less healthy relationship with alcohol than they real. Not even most people, but but a lot of people. I, I know I was there as well. But, uh, I mean, few people have as unhealthy a relationship as I did. It was, it was um, ridiculous and embarrassing looking back at it and just so absurd and troubling and scary to think of all of the i mean i'm really fortunate that nothing really bad happened all the drunk driving and everything else that i did and uh and i just now i'm feeling you know so much better i I could quit drinking and smoking for a few years two or three years before and everything fell apart with injury and career stuff and all these things and i uh, turned back to the sauce. Hopefully that doesn't happen again. I don't know. I'm not an AA guy. I don't really believe in sobriety or anything, but I do think that uh, cigarettes and alcohol are just, it's funny, the two most uh, normalized um, things and celebrated, especially alcohol, just how uh, how celebrated alcohol is in our culture is is just ridiculous to me. I, I think it causes a lot of arrested development. I know it did in me, and and uh, and I, I'm going to talk about this more at the end of the show. I don't want to, I don't want to be too preachy. I'm just, uh, you know, for anyone out there that might be struggling a little bit, my it, it sure would bring me a, a great deal of of pride and joy and fulfillment to know that um, maybe I am. Uh, inspiring someone to uh, re-examine their relationship with uh, with alcohol and cigarettes, um, but uh, it's been it's been really great for me. It, it really, really has. There's there's still been plenty of hard times and plenty of trouble, and it's not it doesn't just automatically fix everything. But man, the amount of money that I've saved, the time that I have, the 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 stuff that I've learned, the the amount of of like cognitive resources that I have, I'm just quicker and smarter and better at my job, and just so just so much impulse control, so much. Uh, so much more patience. Like I'm not the most patient person in the world. It, my my judgment is so much better. Just ah, so many things. And so part of it is um, I I love doing this podcast. Wanted to do more of them. And I've had especially um, when I was drinking a lot. I, I would be kind of fickle with staying on top of how often these podcasts were released and how often I was recording them and uh, would get overwhelmed sometimes and and um, not always get an episode out in a given week. 
And I'm making up for that now. I have a huge bank of, of podcasts, the most I've ever had in the history of, of the show. And I'm uh, excited to be releasing more. Um, I'm tempted to release even more in the future. That's how many I have. But I want to have a nice stockpile because things happen in life. Uh, I might have a um, you know, a horrible crushing depression that takes two months out of my life. That is... Um, that is something that I constantly have to be prepared for. Um, but then there's just, you know, my, sometimes you get interested in other stuff for a while. I have other big projects, you have stressors or other exciting things. And I, so I have a bunch, bunch banked up so that we can have five a month, um, for sure for the foreseeable future, even with me, um, doing recording them on a semi-regular basis and with stand-up science um i it seems to be helping record even more here we are podcasts and uh and uh, which is also helping stand-up science the the two things are just working together really really well and uh, is more time and more effort but they're also building on each other quite a bit and so exciting time so i i hope you dig it i hope you're into it i if you are into um patreon i released on patreon the um i I started recording an autobiographical here we are podcast to give a background to myself which was going to lead into the background of the show um i cut it short because it was much longer than what i anticipated because you guys know how i can ramble when i start talking into a microphone it's funny because i don't like i i hate sitting here talking to myself in a microphone right now i have a really hard time doing it i have a hard time hitting the record button and then once i do just all this stuff um spews out and i have a bit of um verbal um uh diarrhea i guess as they'd call it i uh (laughs) what am i talking that is a perfect example um but uh i i Rather than just delete the file, I threw it up on Patreon. I do want to do an autobiographical episode, maybe release it as a bonus episode in the future to give people a little bit of a background and know a little more. I'd really like people to understand. I hope that you guys are like picking up on some of my biases and some of the ways in which that I that I misread things and misjudge things and, and some gaps in some of my understanding so that you can have like a little more objective um, view of some of the information because we all have blind spots and sometimes it's easier to um, see them in other people from uh, a little more objectively so that will that will give you a more objective uh, view of the information that you're receiving as well but uh, but with that um, yeah five episodes a month from here on out uh and go on patreon if you want uh patreon i'm basically just using to do more of these here we are podcast if if i if i got a ton of patreon i might do some other i have a a little side project that i sometimes do on there and a few other things but it's pretty irregular uh i'm mostly interested in releasing more of these so if if just everyone got on my patreon and started um giving me a bunch of uh uh um monthly um donations or whatever i would use that to be releasing like two here we are podcasts um a week or something is how i would prefer to use more of those resources which is usually people do like special 
episodes and I don't know. I'm doing a little bit of that, but I would much rather just do more. Here we are podcast episodes and that's what I'm doing. So um, to celebrate two years of abstinence from alcohol and cigarettes and feeling positive about uh, the way things are headed for me. More Here We Are podcast for you guys. Thank you for the support. You guys inspire me all of the time. I think about uh, you guys a lot. I, I love all the comments and reviews and getting emails from you guys and and um, seeing the number of listeners grow and all of that inspires me to keep going and to push harder and it, and that helps keep me sober, make better decisions, and, and it just has all of these um, downstream effects as well. So so thank you for that, and enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance, with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with Professor of Psychology at Georgia Southern University. Janie Wilson is joining me today. Janie, thank you so much. Thanks for being a part of Stand Up Science last night. It was a lot of fun. You killed it. You were thank you. You, you were awesome on stage. And you talked a lot last night about self-control. One of my favorite topics. Love talking about self-control. Can't stop myself from talking about <laughs> self-control. I have no self-control when it comes to babbling <laughs> about self-control. But um, I do want to uh, ask, because we're, we're definitely going to get into that, but I do want to, one, one thing I didn't get to hear about is you have a whole other aspect of, of your research, which is, I guess, about teaching and, yes. and education, correct? Yes. Give the listeners a little bit of your background, and then let's maybe get into that subject uh, first. Okay, great. Thanks. Yes, um, I guess starting about, gosh, maybe now 20 years ago, I got really interested in what was happening in the classroom and trying to build rapport with students in the classroom and seeing if that would enhance their grades and make them more motivated and um, and maybe even like me more. That wouldn't hurt. And so um, I started originally looking at humor in the classroom. So not telling jokes because that's not my thing, but just situational humor, you know, playing with students, kind of kidding around. And I thought, well, humor, that's a great way to build rapport. And so I started studying humor for probably about a year. Um, and then the more I studied humor and started doing research on it and reading about it, I realized that humor was just a piece of rapport and it really had to be a larger construct than that. So, Oh man, I need more <laughs> than just my incredible yes. wit. Shoot. <laughs> Probably not you, but I did. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so I just kind of, um, started adding more bits to the building rapport in the classroom and, um, I'm really happy to say that just a few years ago, we published a professor-student rapport scale, and um, we're real grateful it's been it's been translated into about seven different languages now, and uh, and so they're using it in a lot of different places to try to measure rapport in the classroom. 
Okay, so how do you go about doing that? <laughs> well, um, when the original research was done, it was actually not called rapport. It was called immediacy, which is just a psychological closeness between students and their professors. Hmm. And so that was kind of the original construct. And that was measured in the classroom with a rating scale because psychologists love rating scales. Uh, so they measured it with a rating scale and they looked at things like nonverbals and verbals. So nonverbal behaviors like, does your professor smile at you? And does your professor walk around the room? Does your professor gesture appropriately, obviously, but does your professor gesture while talking? And those things, those nonverbals indicated rapport in the classroom. And that's what students thought. I'm just picturing a (laughs) real sad professor with like (laughs) a frown on his face, gesturing wildly inappropriately through through class. That would be the wrong move. So we do make it clear it has to be appropriate, appropriate gestures. Um, But and then some verbal behaviors, too. So saying things like, uh, welcome to our class instead of my class. So oh. just things that you can say to make sure it feels inclusive in the classroom. Yeah, this is my class too. All <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So it gets students kind of buying in a little bit more. And all kinds of good stuff comes from that. If you can develop rapport in the classroom, um, you can, uh, you'll see grades increase. You'll see um, students more motivated to come to class and they do better in class. And um, gosh, some other things, they'll rate the professor higher, which is nice because, you know, they matter to us, those ratings. You know, there's tenure, promotion, things to be concerned about there. Um, so we want students to like us for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, and of course, the biggest thing is they're going to do better in the classroom. Hmm. Um, and kind of a side thing that came out of it, a little something we didn't expect to find is that students who have rapport in the classroom also trust their teacher more. So if I give a really tough assignment, they don't get mad at me. If they don't do well, they they apologize. Hmm. So they I in. don't believe you. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we're not quite hitting it off yet. But is this is this mostly in the uh, is this mostly colleges that you're talking yeah. about, or did mm-hmm. you go did you go further down the line at all? Did you did you no. No, uh, no you didn't. I don't know anything about kids. You, you I, uh, no. no, no messing around with kids. <laughs> College right. students, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, are you like what? What's the kind of intervention, or how are you? Set, are you recording classes, recording lectures, or is someone just going in and observing? No, these actually, thoughts? we just have students um, complete these um, these forms, these surveys. You know, the rating scales, just like the original immediacy stuff that I was telling you about, the verbal and nonverbal. Um, so, uh, so they just complete rating scales. How do they feel about the professor? How much, a lot of different questions that ask about how close do you feel to your professor? Hmm. You know, do you feel bonded kind of stuff? Yeah. How much does a chili pepper help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, at the end of every semester, I do ask students to go on ratemyprofessor.com. <laughs> and uh, I do offer five dollars for a chili pepper. <laughs> but they, I hope I they do they, it without. They got, they got rid of the chili pepper <laughs> no, recently. Yeah, no, no more chili pepper. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I told him I said I'm near retirement. I really need that chili pepper. But uh, but actually, we did a study on ratebyprofessor.com. Uh, we, we did a study where um, we had students. Uh, we left them to whoever wanted to go on there. Went and rated professors, and then we thought, well, gosh, well maybe the people who are on rate my professor. And, and saying things maybe they're just well they're pissed off so they're just complaining and uh, so we did a study where we took those same that same kind of starting with that group of students we had everybody in the classrooms we tracked their numbers they put in different codes so we could track them and stuff not by name and we had a whole large sample go and rate the professors and it turns out that 
when we do that, their um, their ratings are very similar to what they do in the classroom. So we think they're more legit. So it really is helpful at the end of the semester. Professor says, please go on ratemyprofessor.com and rate me. Because mm. then if you can get a lot of people to do it, you're going to get a, a sample that's more representative of what your teachings really like. So you gather this information, you have these findings, and then is this something that then has been implemented into actual university what do you what do you do with this information is this is this a part of the training process with professors in some universities yeah. now or yeah absolutely well I do um, I've been real fortunate I get to do talks a lot um, uh, on rapport and other teaching techniques and so um, I'm really active in um, division two of the American Psychological Association and uh, and they're just a great bunch and they're they have a lot of ways to get information out to professors to help them in the classroom and other parts of teaching. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like I could coach professors. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think you could. <laughs> there's some things I, I've noticed already from doing stand-up. There's like, uh, I, I got some, I, I'm thinking about making a video of a bunch of advice just for just for <laughs> academics. So like, here's how you can speak public. Uh, oh gosh. And this is how you hold the microphones. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's stuff like that. There's, there's stuff that... Um, uh, oh, what's what's some kind of one is um, oftentimes I feel like if people have experience with like Toastmasters, mm-hmm. that's wrong. Oh, um, okay. whatever Toastmasters is teaching okay. Okay. is like really disingenuous and, mm-hmm. and it's like this overly polished um, oh, yeah, yeah. kind of like robotic and it's like it's like this caricature of how a speaker is supposed <laughs> to present things and uh, and like it's uh, it's it's almost too much preparation can mm-hmm. can be a downfall for some people it's, yeah. it can seem a little detached mm-hmm. um there's uh, another another rapport thing that i notice a kind of connection thing is um a lot of academics will put a bunch of words. It's okay to have like some words oh, yeah. on the slides, but people will have like a three paragraph long thing on their slide and then they're reading yeah. the paragraph. It's like That's either horrible. <laughs> have it on the slide or read it out loud. Don't do both at right. the same time. And it kind of throws off everyone's pacing because mm-hmm. you want to have uh, probably just read it yourself because mm-hmm. then everyone's hearing. You have them read a long thing. Everyone's reading it at a different pace. Yeah, for sure. And so everyone's responding at a different time. Mm-hmm. And now the energy's all dispersed and over yeah. the, and timing's such an important thing. Yeah. And when, if you say it yourself, then you, then you have that, then the timing's all succinct and timing is, uh, you can play with that timing a little yeah. easier and build off that energy a little more. Yeah. There's so many things like that, that, that <laughs> well, like, I wish I could get in there and, yeah. and, and teach a couple of classes. Well, you know, <laughs> actually professors do have a lot of training where they, you know, if they, if they choose to do it, they have training where they learn those kind of things about PowerPoint presentations and, you know, don't do the weird noises that come with the PowerPoint. Don't use that. And, and really, <laughs> and we're taught not to use a lot of words. And, you know, from last night, you yeah. notice, I didn't, I don't think I had three words on the whole presentation because it's just pictures to remind me what to say. It's a teleprompter, you know? Yeah. And the other big thing is, um, with students, if you put all the words up there, 
then, you know, at the end of class, they're going to say, can I have your slides? But if you only have pictures, the pictures don't mean anything to them. So you don't have to say, no, I don't really want to just give away my lectures. And then other people might not come to class later. So it's an easy way to say there's no point in sharing the lectures, just pictures. Yeah. And it's just like an odd experience reading a thing. It's not. And then having it read to you yeah. at the same time. It Absolutely. just like throws off something internally. It Absolutely. just it just changes the dynamic. Yeah. But yeah, because I, I, I often have you guys send me your slides ahead of time so I can make sure whatever videos or anything like that are working. Yeah. Um, so you're checking and, to make sure there are no words on them? Is that- well, I don't know how to say this <laughs> yeah. to people yet. <laughs> it, so so far, I'm just like, oh, I'll just let it go because I've seen people use them. Yeah. better than others yeah um but uh sometimes i see one and i'm like oh right. this is not gonna and, l- and last night you were in a place with the you were in a you know a pretty really nice theater with a huge yes. uh like movie screen that was being projected on sometimes i'm in a music venue mm-hmm. with my own projector with like a little sheet that I oh, that, I've, that wow. I've strung up, and so okay. so putting a paragraph long thing, no one can read it. It's right, a, it's a whole thing. But there's oh. there's just there's there's a million of these little factors that go into public speech. This is I'm and I'm I'm just talking about the actual presenting of. Mm. I know this from being a stand up. Yeah. Um, but there's but professors have. Uh, so many other and answering questions and yeah. everything go else. With the flow there's of it. there's mm-hmm. so many other things that uh, that you guys have to know. Yeah. So what what's uh, what's some common mistakes would you say yeah. that that people make uh, rapport wise? Oh gosh. Um, well. <laughs> It's kind of tied to what you said a minute ago where um, sometimes people come in and they'll, they're kind of puffed up and they want to make sure they use big words to be taken seriously. And um, when I'm talking to people about teaching or presentations, um, I just tell them the main advice I can give you um, to really connect with your audience or at least try to is um, listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. Just listen to yourself. It's not about trying to come up with the big words. Uh, yeah, just, that's that's a lot of if you, listen. if I if I have say undergrads mm-hmm. uh, on, on this show or on stand up science okay. or whatever, I you'll see you'll see them throwing in a lot more bigger words. Oh, really? Trying to be like, oh, look, I'm an actual <laughs> scientist, and so oh. I'm going to sound like a scientist. I yeah. think it's a natural thing to do. When I started this podcast, I would. I would, I would definitely, uh, when talking with a academic, I would, I would often interject. But I still do it. But <laughs> I, would, I would more, uh, more so interject like. Mm-hmm. Oh, what about this study that I know about? Like trying to show yeah. you, like, hey, I actually know things. I'm, <laughs> I'm not just attention. a comedian. I, and and, um, and so, so yeah, I think that's, I think that's an early uh, rookie mistake okay. that that some presenters make is is yeah. is masking their insecurities right. by by trying to advertise their their uh, amazing vocabulary and, or, or knowledge of real jargony things. Yeah. And you can't do that in a classroom. You can't because, you know, college students really want you to teach them. And so that's your job. You got to, um, you got to just use plain English, talk to, talk to people. And, uh, why, why not give it away? If you love your field so much, why not try to give it away? Hmm. Don't make it complicated. Right. I think we get kind of wrapped up in our own heads sometimes and, and, uh, and we forget that we should just be having a conversation. What about, Here's here's the big difference between uh, 
I, there's a lot of differences, but there's a lot of parallels between stand-up comedy oh, and, for and sure. yeah. talking in front of people. I mean, you you were last night. You were a pro up there. Yeah. You, didn't, <laughs> you, you didn't need any coaching or anything. Yeah. Um, I could tell you were experienced. Um, but one thing is, so I go on, I go on stage in an audience. It actually kind of happened last night where mm-hmm. I just didn't. There was something like. Uh, um, I didn't connect like right away uh-huh. in the set with them. Like mm-hmm. first impressions are really important, oh, yeah. and and uh, and last night I had it, it was it was one of the weaker responses that I've gotten on a stand up science show, and I just couldn't I didn't get that rapport right away. Right, and so like the rest of the show I had never really connected with them in the same way that I'm I'm used to. It was fine. Uh-huh. We, it was we fine, still, yeah. uh, you know, I was still I I have. You know, solid jokes that work even even when people aren't necessarily <laughs> clicking with me. Or yelling but, from the audience. Or yelling oh, from the audience yeah. like happened last night. Sure. But um, here's... So, okay. So, I, you know, I got to take it on the chin a little bit for like one show. Mm-hmm. You guys, you have... <laughs> y- you, you get off on the wrong foot with a class. Mm-hmm. You're bombing for a semester. Sure. <laughs> like yeah. whole, Four months of hell, yes. A whole right. semester yeah. where you're dealing with that. And yeah. how do you do you do you have any advice on trying to turn that around? Because hey, I know there's there's yes. there's gotta be these huge differences in classes. You have classes where you're clicking and it's just it you're is. I'm sure you're looking forward to every class and and you just know this one's gonna go well and and then you have those ones where it's just like <laughs> Oh, these people yes. hate me. It usually happens when you grade the first assignment. So everything's uh, fine. Uh, and then you grade the first assignment. And then everybody realizes that you're in charge of the class. And I, that's, a, that's a bad feeling for all of us. I wish I could just teach class and not grade. But, you know, it's part of my job to make sure I give feedback. So I would have to say that mainly um, the first evaluation kind of breaks down some of the relationship and breaks down some of that rapport. But, you know, you're right about the first impressions. We actually did a study on that where we um, put uh, students into two different groups, you know, um, assigned them two different conditions and had them to have different first day of class experiences. In one class, we really worked on building the rapport right right up front, first day. In fact, we even emailed them the syllabus and said some perky things and tried to make sure they liked us before they walked in the door. And the other group didn't have all that. And it, it changed the entire semester. In fact, it changed the semester so much that the, the group that was had the rapport built at the beginning actually had higher final grades than the other group. Hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. We adjusted the grade. Nobody's going to suffer. But we were really shocked that there would be a difference beyond just the first day or even the first week. But come on, an entire semester. That was, that was crazy. Hmm. Yeah. First impressions, really important. So what about, there, there has to be some professors out there that uh, just, you know, there may be really great scientists mm-hmm. and great researchers yeah, yeah. and they are not good lecturers. Yeah. What, what does, I, I never went to college. I don't necessarily yeah. know the ins and outs of, of how all this works. You're mentoning, uh, mentioning the, the different factors that go into tenure and everything else. Yeah. What happens when a professor is just like not well <laughs> liked hmm. with students? Are there, are there interventions? Are there? Yeah, sure. Um, but how I have to say students, you know, I've been doing this a long time, almost 25 years, and students are so generous and loving. They really are supportive. So even if you have somebody who, you know, maybe teaching's not 
their go-to move. Maybe research is their go-to move, but they're in the classroom and they're doing their best. And even if they're not very good at it, sometimes they're not relating as well. Students still see that they're trying. And so students are often really generous. So that's the first thing. I just have to say that I, I think okay. students are really kind and loving. And um, I guess I guess if you had somebody who wasn't very good, most universities have a whole area at the university dedicated to helping you become a better teacher, a whole teaching center. Like we have one at Georgia Southern. So um, most schools will have that. So they're able to kind of help you along. Another thing you can do is... Um, especially with something like SurveyMonkey or Qualtrics or some online program, you can send out a link to your students in the middle of the semester and let them give you feedback, especially kind of open-ended questions. And then you just come back to class after you've reviewed all those things, come back to class and talk to the students about it. And report, you can build rapport halfway through the semester. You can really turn it around. Hmm. So if you're willing to get in there and do that, then they know you're listening to them. And again, that just establishes that you care about them and then they're willing to go that extra mile for you. There's got to be some jerks out there, though, right? There's got to be a few. Sure. There's got to be a, a few rough comments. Out there. Yeah. So, well, gosh, I and they stick with you. I mean, I had a student, negativity bias. It's terrible. Yeah. I had I had a student say, "Who does she think she is, Oprah Winfrey?" And I thought that is awesome. I would love to be Oprah Winfrey. That'd be great. Look under your chairs. I know. There's an F, and you fail, and you fail. I thought that is a great compliment, but I don't think you meant it that way. And so, but it, but it just stuck with me. So, you know, when you do get negative comments, they 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 cut pretty deeply. So you've toned down the Oprah. I don't bit, do that so. as much anymore. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. But I don't do that as much. I used to walk around with three hundred students with a mic, and you know. Yeah, yeah, not as many giveaways as you. Yeah, I did. Too. There's, you know, professors. We don't give away anything. <laughs> no. But uh, but yeah, so some professors it might not be their you know their best thing. Maybe they're better at doing the research, but there's a place for that in the university too. And um, gosh, uh, how <laughs> what would you do if somebody was a really bad professor? The trouble is that you can you can go and get all your your extra. Ed, you can do go get a PhD and never take a class on how to be a teacher. Hmm. We're actually most of the time not taught how to be a teacher. We're not taught anything about it. I mean, I think things are changing and they're getting better. And now when you go get a PhD, they often will give you a couple of classes on how to be a teacher. But that's, that's just not much. Mm. So it shouldn't be surprising that a lot of times you'll get a professor who doesn't know how to relate to students or how to teach because nobody teaches most of them. They just say, hey, great research. Now go teach a class. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about self-control. Sure. I can't help myself anymore. Marshmallow. I just can't resist any longer. <laughs> I need to talk about self-control. Uh, so you 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 work a lot with ego depletion. Yes. That's it. what is ego depletion? Because it sounds like a real far out term. Doesn't it sounds it? like yeah. someone that had a bit too much acid. <laughs> <laughs> and my ego's so depleted right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. What What do you mean by uh, because through through the uh, through the years for the last hundred years or so, the word ego I has know. been used in a myriad of of ways yep. to mean all sorts of different things. Yep. Uh, how are you using it? Okay. So um, so ego depletion. I, if if I remember correctly, ego they they did cho- choose the ego based on. Freud's term ego from what I remember and um and so the idea of ego for the people in doing this research is that you have this one well of energy the ego the self part of you and um this one well of energy over time can be depleted so if you define the ego as that well of energy and you talk about throughout the day you may have less of it then just ego depletion means less self-control across the day but what's interesting about the ego depletion research is it really requires that you 
um, kind of have people experience, um, do something tied to self-control twice. Because the first event, like in a laboratory, is to make people expend self-control. And then, uh, so you're doing some kind of task that makes you have self-control. And then later in the lab, you do some kind of assessment of that self-control, which means now you got a second task where you measure how long will they persist on something, you know, like a self-control. So it makes you, uh, you have to, in the laboratory, assess self-control twice. You kind of have to do it twice. Mm. Yeah. And so the second time, if you've been ego depleted, you'll have less of it. So how do you do this? Give, give me an example of yeah, a study. Sure, sure. So um, a classic study from, gosh, a while back now is um, something that Baumeister and others did. And they brought people into the lab and um, they said, okay, they made sure they were hungry. And then they put a plate of chocolate chip cookies in front of them and a plate of radishes in front of them. And for half the participants, they said, hey, I want you to resist the urge to eat those chocolate chip cookies. You can eat as many radishes as you want. And then for the other group, they said, I want you to resist the urge to eat those radishes. You can have as many chocolate chip cookies as you want. Of course, the idea is that if you resist the urge to eat the cookies, that's a lot more self-control. So later in the study, you should have less self-control. And in fact, later they, at the end of the study, they measured um, self-control by having people work on, if I remember correctly, they had them work on um, puzzles that were impossible to solve. So like a tracing puzzle, you know, trace the house, but don't lift your pen kind of thing. And they had them uh, do these puzzles until they, they finally said, I'm done. I just, I don't have anything left. Of course, the people who resisted the chocolate chip cookies, they were done much faster because there just wasn't much left in the tank. So their ego was depleted. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Did anyone actually eat the radishes that they were told not to eat the radishes and they just couldn't oh. help themselves? Oh, yeah. Don't eat those radishes. I don't think so. I think that, <laughs> A little reverse I psychology. I don't know if eat the in. cookies if they were told not to either, though. So I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. So... Uh, what what kind of studies have you done on self-control? Yeah. Um, let's see. So uh, one of the studies we did was we had um, we had participants come in and they sat down at a table and there was a pa- uh, pile of Legos in front of them. And so we had a confederate. A confederate is somebody who is kind of in on the study but might seem like a participant. Um, so we had a confederate sitting there in front of the pile and then a participant came in and sat across the table. Do we know why they're called confederates, by the way? I've I never... I've never don't know and I don't want to speculate on that yeah. one, but you might want to. Yeah. I, I should really look into it because yeah. every time I hear it, I'm just like, why is it... Yeah, I just, know. It's a good it, question. That's just science making things... Uh, unnecessarily confusing. Uh, <laughs> Should just be the in on it person. Uh, yeah. So we had the confederates in there and uh, and the participant came in and they had this pile in front of them and we said, okay, um, so the participant said, your job is to build a structure. There's no reward and if you don't build a great structure, there's no penalty. So we just want you to work together, build a structure. And for half the participants, the confederate was rude and would do things like... Um, if the, if the participant put down a Lego, the, when it was the Confederate's turn, um, often it was a he, he would reach across and, and move it. Like, how stupid are you that you put the Lego in that spot? Oh, I want that job. <laughs> yeah. We actually had a little cheat sheet kind of hidden from view from the participant. So there were actually 14 rude behaviors that the Confederate had to do. So spin around on the chair, roll his eyes, sigh as though he's bored. Just so many things to just kind of mildly make the participant feel uncomfortable. I should state here, we do have a, did have approval to run the study. You can't run any of these studies without approval first because that's 
you know, you're making them uncomfortable. Right. What, it, what, what is, what's it say on the form that they're, <laughs> that they're signing off of? Is it just like, Hey, we're, we're definitely going to mess with your head. We're no, not, we're not never, telling never, you never. how, no, but we're... no, that's the great thing too. You, you explain to the, it's called a, an institutional review board, the IRB and the IRB reviews all the stuff you're going to do in a lot of detail, um, even down to how you're going to analyze the data, I guess just to see, do you know what you're doing? Are you going to waste everybody's time and maybe potentially make science look bad? So the IRB reviews everything in detail, but the only thing the participant sees is an informed consent form. So uh, they will get a form that basically says what physically, for example, you will do. You don't have to give away the point of your study or otherwise you'd never learn anything. You know, they would either try to be funny and go against what you think is going to happen, or they would um, try to give you what you want. So none of that would be good science. Right. So we don't tell them. Okay. Yeah. So so you have people in these con- different conditions yeah. building yeah, uh, building structures. The Lego. Yeah. So the one condition, um, the Confederate is rude 14 times. And then in the other condition, the participant just comes in and the Confederate just takes turns. No no rudeness, none of that. And, uh, and then we look at... Uh, at the end of the study, we look at how long they will persist on a task. I mean, the task isn't really important. It's just a measure of self-control. Will they persist? Will they have self-control to continue to work on something? So what we use in that study is we have them um, type something on a computer. So once the Confederate's gone, then the participant's alone, everything's already happened, and then we say, hey, sit down at this computer and type A plus E plus I plus O plus U, and keep doing that, because we really want to look at how your, your you know dexterity. And so they do that for as long as they're willing. And then they ring a bell and then we stop the timer. And we find that overwhelmingly, I mean, we'd call it significantly, but overwhelmingly those who were treated rudely stop. They just don't have the self-control left. I mean, what is that? Think of the implications in our world. So you go to the drive-thru and somebody hands you a bag of food and they won't make eye contact. Like, you know, they just kind of turn their head and shove the food at you. Well, that's a mild rudeness and it does hurt and it, Supposedly, I mean, at least on what we found, it'll take away some of your self-control the rest of the day. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, for the for the listeners, I was just as um, as Janie was explaining all of that, I was turning around and yawning and all of that, <laughs> but she she powered through it. I tried to ignore it. Um, <laughs> was there within? So you have the rude condition. Yeah. Within the rude condition, was there? Did you notice? Uh, I imagine you had multiple confederates mm. or, or maybe it was the same person each we had time. a couple, we had a couple. Uh, you had a couple mm-hmm. did you notice any any different like was uh, were, were either of them particularly skilled at being yes. at being yes. rude like oh yeah. we got to get that guy back super rude every semester we uh we set up our studies we have you know team meetings and and all that and um yes there will always be somebody who's better at being rude and then we write a script and everybody memorizes it and then we practice it for a while <laughs> And then the first couple of participants we run, we observe each other and they don't kind of count in the data. So if they're not rude enough, we teach them how to be a little bit ruder. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, that, that's got to be like a little bit of bittersweet, getting yeah. cut during the rude tryouts. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't mean enough. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I, 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 and I, I want, I, this is, I wonder what the, like the person who's rude to someone all day, if they, oh, if they, yeah. Like what the end of their, if they go to the bar after, 
yeah. after after a long day it's of being point. rude to people if they then continue to be rude habitually. <laughs> well, that's a good point because we we did another study where we actually had we didn't we haven't done the rude. I, I like that. We should try that. But we did another study where we had um, we had uh, Confederates. Um, they're sitting in the lab, and uh, and a participant comes in, and the participants experiencing drinking some. Um, uh, we make them. <laughs> it sounds terrible. We make them drink vinegar. Mm. And um, and it tastes disgusting. And so, in one condition, we say, "Look, um, we re- we need your help. We need to get more participants in here. So, if if anybody asks you how that drink tastes, would you would you say it tastes okay? <laughs> so that's all they have to do. A little yeah. white lie, right? No big deal. So uh, so we ask them to do that little lie. And the interesting thing to me is they all will lie. If you ask, they'll lie. And so, you know, the Confederate later is kind of nearby and uh, and says, hey, well, how does it taste? And if we ask them to lie, then they do. They say, it's not bad. So the little lie. And then, of course, the other condition, we, we say, look, you know, if somebody asks you how it tastes, we understand. Tell them the truth. And then sure enough, in that condition, they say, oh, my gosh. It is, I almost vomited. It is disgusting. So, uh, so again, we find at the end of the study that there's uh, a loss of self-control in those who told the little tiny lie. So much so that we presented it, um, people in the audience, they had a hard time believing it. But the data are there. You don't make them up, you know. So hmm. uh, we've repeated the study two more times. Same thing every time. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, don't tell lies. Yeah. Well, if I'm remembering right, I think that like if you give someone an MRI, like potentially a future lie detector oh. would be to give someone an MRI and there's there's just a lot more activation going on. It, I guess it just takes a lot more because to tell oh, a, yeah, to yeah, tell yeah. a lie, you have to mm-hmm. be processing what the truth is. Yeah. And then, and then be keeping your lie straight, making sure you're remembering what the lie was in case you're asked about it later. So there's just a lot more energy. Uh, I think that's why I'm like just constantly exhausted. I'm just always <laughs> just lie, I'm lying to myself mostly. Uh, <laughs> well, so. well, last night you talked about cognitive load. So it's the same yeah. thing. That's a, that's, that's a heavy load to come up with this elaborate story. And when we were putting together the study, we read the research about the, what you're talking about, about how if you have to come up with an elaborate lie, it takes mm-hmm. a lot away from you. So we kind of just wanted to know, what if you just told a little one? Just a tiny I mean, vinegar lie. It's, just, just, it's like kombucha. It's, it's nothing. just a little vinegar. So, so, you know, why would that... Why would that wipe you out in a measurable way that you can then show that you've lost self-control? We just didn't expect it to be that big in our audience either. But again, we repeated it two more times. Okay. <laughs> so uh, n- now when when someone's uh, like, I'm a little tired right now, you got to be like, oh, <laughs> I don't trust this person. Yeah. What, what, you, you what have you been up to? Lying all day? Yeah. Pretty exhausting being a big fat liar, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. I'm judging. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, what are uh, what are some of your other um, favorite studies that you've done? Okay, let's see. Um, oh, and I was telling everybody last night about the touch study. We're currently writing oh, yeah. that up. Yeah, yeah, explain yeah. that one again. Well, see, the thing is, we we love studying ego depletion. It's it, it's just a great lens through which to look at the world, you know, because you, you understand understand yourself so much better when you realize your self control is lost throughout the day. Um, but I'm also really interested in how to give it back. So what is what can you do to make sure that if somebody loses a little bit, they get a boost throughout the day? Because you don't want to get to the end of the day and, you know, have none left. And so we uh, recently did a study and um, 
Victoria Forgia is a graduate student in our master's program, and she's brilliant. And she uh, has been running the study. We just finished analyzing the data and started writing it up. And um, what she does in the lab is she brings people in, and she has them do um, some a difficult task. Um, so she has them um, do uh, math. She gives them a number and says, okay, do math backwards or, you know, anything that's a difficult task. And and uh, and then for those who are kind of struggling with it, she will go in and touch them on the shoulder while they're struggling with the task. And she'll touch them on the shoulder, just, you know, just supportively touch them on the shoulder twice. Um, and then the other condition, she does not. And again, we were shocked to find that there is a large difference between the two groups. Those who were touched they have self-control. They have a lot more compared to the other condition where they weren't touched and supported in some way. So that's interesting. We haven't read anything about that yet. So we're excited to be able to put that out there. So this is kind of like, I, I guess, recognizing that there's social support is, yeah, is so. boosting mm-hmm. um, self-control yeah, I think or, so. sure. or something. I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that adds... Uh, uh, definitely a, a probably a more troubling layer to our modern world where mm. now people are more and more put in cubicles and isolated yes and, yes absolutely now you're putting a cubicle by yourself and you're on a computer that has solitaire on it and yeah. you can't stop i don't know if people still play solitaire or not yeah, but maybe. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> when computers when i was a teenager and computers Pong, were first right? coming out that was it was all the rage okay, gotcha. um <laughs> so that's what i'm pulling from yeah but just but just you're right it's the social support because there are so many types of touch we could imagine some. We won't go into all those, but there's so many kinds of touch, like uh, supportive touch, which is what she's doing. We assume it's supportive touch because there's nothing else to it. There's instrumental touch, which when we first started designing the study, we thought, well, we'll do a touch that serves a purpose, but it's still a touch. So the original study was to shake hands, and we found that that wasn't working. So we changed up to a different kind of touch, but there are a lot of different kinds of touch to look at, but you're right. I think, I think what you're saying is correct. I think it's the social support touch. Hmm. Like I'm here, you know, and, and you're doing a good job. Hmm. Yeah. I, I guess we're these social animals to know that yeah. there's, that you have backup, I yeah. think maybe registers that like, Hey, you can use up a little bit more of this stuff because yeah. you have this support. Yeah. Huh. Well, that's very interesting. Yeah. So um, a lot of implications for real life, you know, like you said about not being in cubicles and stuck away from everybody. You need to, you need to have that social support. And there's tons of research to show that social support is tied to uh, psychological well-being. So hmm. that's good stuff. Is there, are there any um, drugs out there that are helping with, with self-control? I'm looking for shortcuts. Oh, I, I was thinking, what I, do I know about drugs? <laughs> <laughs> Is there like a, like what's Adderall doing? Or is that is that helping? I mean, I imagine even if it was boosting self control temporarily, you'd be that much more wiped out at the end of the day. I guess oh, I'm, interesting. I hadn't thought about that. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I'm yeah. I'm just wildly speculating yeah. right but now. But last night you were talking about the prefrontal cortex, and one theory. I'm sure there are many, but one theory is that uh, things like uh, Adderall. Um, activate the frontal cortex and the frontal cortex is good for inhibiting behaviors that you should be doing. So kind of calming people down in that way. So in, inhibition. Yeah. So somewhat. Well, exercise would probably help. A little oh, cardio, o- getting for a sure. little more oxygen going in that brain. That would probably be, 
Um, I was hoping I could just take a pill or something, but that's, uh, that's... <laughs> well, if you have ADHD, you probably can't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the, the more, the, the more and more, uh, the older I get, the more I realize like, ah, oh, okay, I actually just have to go out for a jog. That's like the Gosh. solution to many of my problems. And the thing is just the self-control it takes that you eventually build up to make yourself go do the jog. Right. So, you know, long-term building it up. So you have it for later that, that helps too. Yeah, I I often it takes me roughly three hours of just internal like arguing <laughs> with myself before I yeah. before I work up the energy. But yeah. what's interesting with with some of let's take exercise for example. Sure. Um, you know, I I have to do this uh, mental I'm wrestling with my internal mm-hmm. worlds to motivate myself to do this but mm-hmm. but these are you start building these habits over time and and it actually gets gets easier which mm-hmm. I guess um, if you're kind of just hearing about this stuff you might intuitively think that that it would only get harder if the yeah. ego's being depleted yeah. it would get harder and harder to exercise every day but this is the opposite happens actually if you're talking about it on in the short term then it's different from the long term so in the short term if you're um if you're trying to work yourself you know trying to make yourself go to the gym um across the day yeah you're going to lose self-control because you're trying to take on some new behavior and you're trying to develop a new habit and the whole ego depletion literature is based on you to talk about ego depletion, that thing you're trying to do, you have to define it as effortful. So this whole ego depletion thing doesn't work unless that first task is defined by you as effortful. So if it takes, like it sounds like you're saying, it takes a lot of effort for you to exercise. It does. So, and so if that's true, then across the day, yeah, you can have less self-control. But one of the things I was talking about last night is um, if you find ways to build self-control all, on a regular basis, and especially maybe weekends when you have downtime and you don't really maybe need as much self-control for work or something, um, that's a great time to try to kind of challenge yourself and so that you can build some more long-term self-control. Baumeister and some others, one, uh, one analogy they use is that uh, the, the ego depletion is like um, wearing out a muscle. So think about it. Just like if you do one workout, yeah, you're sore. That muscle hurts. But if you do a series of workouts, then the muscle gets stronger mm-hmm. and then you actually have more stamina. So it's the same thing. Short term, yeah, you get depleted. Long term, you built yourself a, a better muscle of self-control. Do you have any advice on how to get that initial ball rolling and momentum going in the in the right direction? Because that that's the hardest part. Yeah, I'll get once I have a good habit going, it, mm-hmm. it seems. Uh, I wouldn't say effortless, oh, but, yeah, sure. uh, but but it's much easier. Yeah, and then once in a while. Uh, uh, what I like to do, Janie, is like every, uh, at least a couple times a year, I just like to just completely fall apart. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. mentally, yeah. just psychologically. I like to have like mm-hmm. a, a real nice kind of breakdown and, uh, yeah, it's just <laughs> a nice, <laughs> is that right? Okay. Yeah. I like to like maybe just lay in bed for like two, three weeks at a time. Oh, good and just gosh. Like really, really not be able to do much of, it's just like a real hard reset. Um, mm-hmm. but, but, uh, uh, definitely hard to get the ball rolling again mm-hmm. after those, after those breaks. Sure. And then, um, uh, it's, I mean, the one thing is, uh, there's a few different factors that I've noticed. One, uh, 
to go from zero to doing a little something uh-huh. is like so yeah your your bar is set so low yeah. at that point that yeah. like you go for you do like <laughs> 10 push-ups or something like that i'm like oh okay well look at me look who did 10 push-ups today right um but but it's definitely uh it's really hard to I, i'm sure i have all sorts of listeners that <laughs> that would love to be in shape and exercising and everything else and and don't exercise, would love to start, but don't know how to get started. Yeah. That first initial bit of self-control mm-hmm. is a lot to muster. Yeah. You got any tips for people? Yeah, sure. A couple of things. One is a, a concept called reward substitution. And so if, you, if you're going to work out, you want to one day be healthier, right? I want to one day be healthier. I want to one day be stronger. But that's so far off that your future self just, you know, you can't see it. You can't get there. It's not motivating enough. So reward substitution is when you instead reward yourself for maybe every time you work out or at the end of a week of working out. Reward yourself faster because that blurry reward of looking healthier, being healthier and stronger later, it's not clear enough for you. Mm -hmm. So give yourself something else. Like um, for me, um, when I started working out, well, I like to watch Netflix, but (laughs) I wouldn't allow myself to watch it unless I was on the treadmill. So there's my reward. I really had a show I wanted to watch, but I would not allow myself to see it unless I was on the treadmill. And so every day I got on the treadmill just so I could have, give myself permission to watch that show. Um, and then the other thing I did at the beginning when I first started working out was, um, I called it putting on the uniform, I would literally put on the uniform. So I told myself, I don't have to go to the gym. I don't have to work out. I have to just put on the clothes that I would wear to the gym if I did go. And so I'd put on the uniform. Well, then I'm walking around half the day. I'm in the uniform. Well, I might as well just go to the gym. But I tell myself, look, I only have to go to the gym and I only have to do the 10 push-ups. But then I'm in the uniform. I'm at the gym. I've just done 10 push-ups. So then I continue to do it. Yeah, I often get suited up in my full body American flag unicard. Um, and I'm picturing then I'm it. Like, that's, that's good. I'm like, well, I wouldn't be wearing this for no reason. <laughs> I, I better get outside and show everybody. Go for a run. That yeah. might be counterproductive, but that, that's just me. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so just kind of like you said, you know, start small, but uh, but put yourself in the in the you know the the frame of mind that. This is something I'm dressed for. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go for five minutes. Okay, I'm here. The other thing that really helped um, kind of get started is um, having a trainer because it, at, you know, at the university, we have a great workout facility and it's called the Rack, oddly enough. That's a strange name for it. But, but so you go to the Rack and they have personal trainers. They're students and they're learning how to be trainers. And so they show you how to do workouts. And you know, I had to be accountable because I'm meeting with my trainer today, so I couldn't just not go. So things to kind of trick myself into going and, and, uh, and you know, the rewards really help too. Hmm. Yeah. So things like that. Ah, yeah. I, I travel constantly. So all the things that you're <laughs> supposed to do is basically like, yep, I can't do any of those things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you run? <laughs> I run a little bit. There's a, there's an app called couch to five. Yes, that, that is I, great. That I've been, that, that's a, that's a really good baby step your way yeah. into um i'm uh, right now full disclosure your couch i'm midway through oh week two that's not it's a okay. start okay it's something it's well, what do you great. do in week two um week two is just like uh I, I think it's minute and a half jog with a, a two minute 
walk and then you do that for like 16 minutes or something okay. or 20, 20 21 minutes i think it is and that's not bad how often a, do you do there's it there's a five minute i'm supposed to do it every other oh, day i'm supposed to here we go <laughs> it depends on the weather <laughs> right because right. the weather will get that excuse machine sure like yeah, a little a, yeah. a little cloudy day you don't want to really you don't want to get damp no. no i mean um, sweat doesn't count but, okay. yeah um but uh, I'm I'm working toward every other day. I'm I'm getting close to that. I I have a I have a similar um, push up app as well. Mm-hmm. I haven't been using lately. <laughs> What's the name of it? One hundred push ups is the name of it. Oh wow, um, hundred. Oh. And uh, and I've I've gotten up to I, I think. It, uh, I've gotten up to the days where it's 140 or something like that in a Ugh. in a day, and now I'm I'm back to baseline again, yeah. which starts at like eight push-ups or something. Oh god, but 140? Who would even know? That's, that's um, a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, once once you have the momentum and yeah. you have the ball going, all this stuff is so much easier. But yeah. when I'm at home. Mm-hmm. I have my rock gym that I can go to. There's yoga classes there and blah, blah, blah. When I'm on the road, it's just... Oof, <laughs> I it's, love to sit back when I'm at home, lean back, like I got this. <laughs> yeah, it, but not on the road. It's That's Well, it. it's just that, you know, I don't have a regular gym on the road. Oh, here we go. I got to <laughs> look up got things. I got yeah. to go to the yoga or whatever class. I, yeah. I've been doing yoga because I can't, I don't have it in me to do like CrossFit or something oh, more intense right now. But uh, and I go there, I got to sign up and now I'm going to get their their dumb email list for oh, the rest of my life. That's true. From uh from Savannah, Georgia yep. yoga place and And you're and, here once every 4 years or 5 uh, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh and there's just like so many excuses that I can come up with yeah. that I can't I can't intellectualize my way past my dumb monkey brains excuse <laughs> machine that that is just like yeah, you it'd be better to just lay in bed today, wouldn't it? I'm like, oh, that does sound nice. Like, just oh, I've got a headache or a stomachache. <laughs> I just can't possibly get up. Yeah, we give ourselves a lot of excuses. But you know, you were saying earlier that sometimes you just want downtime. You just take breaks. And um, I'm not going to remember the name of the guy, but um, but you know when people do uh, those, those big public feats like um, being frozen in a block of ice for three days or being suspended over something, you know, um, like the magicians and... But I don't know. They'd, I guess they'd be endurance artists. Yeah. Yeah. So, but when you interview, I've, I've heard of some interviews where they ask, well, what do you do when you finished one of those amazing feats? Well, they eat a lot of junk food and sit around on the couch and mm. don't move for two weeks. Mm. So I think we're all maybe like that. We need some breaks sometimes. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, uh, along those lines, and you kind of mentioned waiting until the weekend when, <laughs> when you have... Uh, you, you don't have as much cognitive fatigue from right. work and all those other sure. things. Um, is there, a, and I mean, kind of in addition to what you've already said, and if you don't, if you don't have anything to add, that's totally fine too. But sure. is there a way in which you can kind of store up or, yeah. uh, you know, in terms of picking the right time, is there, I mean, the weekends, that's a good one. Is there anything else like that? Like, uh, ha- has there any tests out there about doing stuff like in the morning or at night being mm-hmm. a better time? Yeah. Like before, you know, before work instead of after work? Is mm-hmm. has is there anything like that out there you can Yeah, give me? sure. So, so I guess it's prioritizing. So if you've got something that, again, remember for ego depletion to be a thing, you've got to consider the task you're doing to be 
difficult. <laughs> it's got to take self-control. So if you don't want to work out, do it in the morning. Because mm. by the end of the day, it's already something you don't want to do. So then you have all those other things that pull your self-control. End of the day, it's just not going to happen. So you got to prioritize the things you least want to do. They kind of have to happen early in the day mm. to be best. Janie, I, I know. I'm I sorry. Hate morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not a morning it. person. Okay. I work nights. I oh, hate yeah, morning. Right, right. It's going to be real difficult for me. Yeah. I'm going to try. I'm going to try for you. Yeah. Thank um, you. Yeah. Uh, I, I. It's also. Um, oh, you, you had such good advice for um, trying to avoid arguments oh, gosh, yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. I was like, yes, that is what every single person People are nodding in the audience know. going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 explain, explain that. I yeah. mean, I, I yeah. basically just said it. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, but, yeah, you, that was it. That was good. No, uh, the idea is um, if, you, if you buy into this concept of ego depletion, um, then by the end of the day, you, you know, you've, you've used up so much of it that you don't have much left. And, you know, we work all day and then we come home and we give whatever is left of ourselves to the people in our lives. And so we come home to our children and pets and spouses, partners, and, uh, and we're often the rudest to those people. Mm. And it's a shame. We all do it, you know, because they'll love us anyway. I asked a student in my class last week, uh, we were talking about the same thing, and I asked her, I said, well, why? You know, why are you, why do you feel like you, you do that? Why do you treat your husband that way? And she said, well, he stuck with me. And the room got kind of quiet, and then she realized he's not necessarily stuck with you. You know, he could, he could let go. Mm-hmm. We all get choices throughout life, so I'm getting to find it in ourselves to be kinder to each other. And by the end of the day, there's just not much left. So what we're talking about is if you especially have some kind of challenge at the end of the day, I don't know, uh, maybe somebody forgot to take out the trash. I don't know what, what triggers things. Well, you can argue about it all night or you can just decide to get some rest hmm. and come back at it the next day. Or, you know, sometimes you just put it off till Friday happy hour and maybe that's the time to do it. I want to set up a situation where oh, gosh. <laughs> my reward at the end of the day like if I've done all my exercise and emailing and all the things that I want to do at the end of the day, I get to be rude. Like, oh, yeah. I, like <laughs> I maybe my girl, a girlfriend and I can have some sort of arrangement or yeah. maybe it just like, maybe I'll form like a meetup group or something yeah. like that where a bunch of people, all of us get together and we're just rude to yeah. one another and in, in like a nice safe, we, we get together <laughs> at like a, Dick's last resort, or something like sure. that, and, sure. and you think the you get waiters it out of your yelling at us. Oh, we're sure. yelling at the waiter, everyone, and and yeah. and, and get it out. That's yeah. that, that's completely yeah. opposite, and maybe. <laughs> well, I don't know. There's some there's some old research out there that people believe that if you uh, had a lot of aggression in you, then at the end of the day, you could just start screaming, and it really let it out. But they found out it was the opposite happened. That the more people screamed to let it out, the matter they got. So be really? careful. You don't want to get in that group and be rude and then just be angry. Oh, so the ruder. old, like, having, having the boxing bag, yeah. having the weight bag well, I don't in, know. The, That's in the, the garage? Then you're just worn that... out, so that might be a different thing. Right, but, right, right. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So, so don't, don't practice bad behaviors. <laughs> okay. So maybe boxing bag, but you can't just yeah. go into the garage and, like, yell at a wall. Yeah. That's not helping anybody. Probably not. <laughs> probably not. Doesn't now you're just either. kind of embarrassed because you're, yeah, you're yelling at a wall. And yelling at a wall. Yeah, and... for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. all right. Speaking of being kinder okay. to others, yeah. I have my guests each week plug a charity of their choice. What do you have in mind? Okay. Well, I would like to um, suggest that people might donate to autismspeaks.org. And uh, 
and support uh, kids who are really struggling and families who may need some help and uh, make a donation. All right. Yeah. That's terrific. Thank you. All right. Last thing. Let's, because I talked about getting the ball rolling, going from couch to 5K. Yes. But now, now let's, let's, uh, I often, you know, focus on a lot of me search on this podcast, but there's probably also <laughs> listeners out there yes. that are doing the 5Ks mm-hmm. then that, that are, that I have the good habit. And sometimes I find myself in this position. I'm, I'm regularly rock climbing, doing yoga, going for jogs, doing all the things, writing, meditating, oh, just knocking the life out of the park. Right. You got that going, mm-hmm. and but you wanna you wanna keep it going, yeah. and I feel uh, you know once once in a while, like I said, every yeah. every six months or so, something's gonna happen, something's gonna throw me off, mm-hmm. I'm gonna fall apart a little bit. Yeah. What is there is there any like safeguards that you can implement into your life to kind of keep those keep those positive. Mm-hmm. self-control habits going. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually meant to say it last night and never got around to it. We make it sound like as soon as we develop a habit, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we've got it. We've nailed it. And it's going to become part of who we are now. And we're never going to have to have all these tricks of reward substitution or, um, you know, trying to find motivation. But the truth is, especially something like working out or eating healthy foods, we have temptations around us all the time. So stuff like that, we just have to admit that we're always going to need to have some kind of motivation. We're always going to need to give ourselves a little something to, to boost us along and make sure that we keep doing the things we're supposed to do. So I, I think it's great to recognize that you're going to still have hard times. It doesn't matter if you've been doing something, a good habit for 30 years, you're still going to need motivation every now and then. Maybe all the time. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it gets any easier. I've been exercising most of my life and I still don't want to exercise but I just keep trying to find ways to trick myself into doing it anyway. Mm. And the other thing I want to say is um, if we do make mistakes, I think it's really important that we're loving to ourselves too. So there's this research on something called willingness. And willingness is being willing to uh, accept yourself for your flaws too. So when you slip up and you're supposed to be doing this great habit, but you mess up, you got to just forgive yourself. Just like you would if a friend came to you and said, I can't believe I forgot to exercise again. You'd you'd go, you're going to do it tomorrow. Or come on, I'll do it with you. But it's okay. You're so much nicer to other people than you are to yourself sometimes. So forgiveness to yourself too. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's also, um, there are some ways of avoiding temptation. I I try to limit my candy intake. My New Year's resolution was no candy this year. I already, no I've candy? Already slipped. Oh, I've already slipped. <laughs> yeah. Said, well, I mean, a, I know ooh. New Year's resolutions don't work. Right. I knew that when I made it, but still right. made it anyway. Sure. Um, but I, I still, I try to, li- so, you know, I don't have, I try to never have candy like <laughs> with me or in my house, right. like in a jar sitting there that I have to pass. Um, yeah. I, I try to avoid, uh, going into gas station and when I do to like use the bathroom or whatever, uh-huh. I like just look up oh, at, that's great. At, that's great. The, at the ceiling. Cause it's just <laughs> they're like, wondering what's they're wrong with them filled yeah. with candy everywhere. Yeah. Um, but there has to be some things like that, that people do can do to kind of keep themselves out of tempting situations as yeah. well. Right. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, sometimes we ask too much of ourselves. So, you know, um, like, uh, if I'm, if I'm out of town or, you know, away from the house and I get really hungry, well, usually 
I carry um, protein bars around with me. So if I will never get really hungry because then I'm going to make bad decisions. So I think preparation is a big deal. And then when I allow myself to do something like go through the drive-thru, I, I'm going to eat fast food, but I just try to just push myself in the direction of picking something kind of healthier. So, you know, I just, we can't ask too much of ourselves and kind of set ourselves up for failure. Because if I said, I'm never going to eat fast food again, well, I'd fail within a week because I'd be really hungry. You know? mm-hmm. um, so I think that, uh, I think that, you know, that kind of thing might help. And when you do yeah. slip not going the like route of, well, since I'm getting the double cheeseburger, <laughs> right. I'm going to also get the large drink and the yeah. extra large yeah. fry because I'm already screwing sure. up the one thing. Sure. So. And it's just this once and tomorrow's going to be another day. <laughs> yeah. We give ourselves permission a lot. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, this is a fantastic, very Thank important uh, research and information, something that every okay. single person could benefit from uh, from learning a little bit about yeah. and paying a little more attention to. So yeah. I, I very much appreciate you thank taking you. the time to do my podcast, yeah. Janie. Yeah. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. Thank you. Next week on the Here We Are podcast, we're going to be talking with Jesse Bankson at Sonoma State University, talking sensation and perception and cognitive psychology. Super cool stuff. Really fun conversation. And yeah, thank you guys again for all the support. You really do. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that really helps um, with staying off alcohol and cigarettes and making better decisions and all of that is is seeing some of the benefits and and one of the benefits is that uh you know i I feel i just feel like a better host of this show when i'm not drinking i feel just more on top of things and just having more of these in the bank makes me feel good and like i'm on top of life and um yeah so Alcohol. The first time I quit drinking, it it was like a month into it. I just felt this. I I just experimented with a month of sobriety. I wasn't even planning on quitting drinking or anything. And it was just this level of clarity. This fog had been lifted, and it was like I never. I, I was never giving my adult self a chance. I I had been drinking since I was a kid, and. You aren't just with alcohol. You feel like, oh, I'm hungover right now, so I'm impaired, or or I'm drinking, or I'm drunk, so I'm impaired. And then if I'm not like fully hungover, then I'm sober. But it's it doesn't. It's always like that hangover is always there on on a smaller level. It lasts for much longer. You you just. If you're drinking like I was, you just aren't really sensitive to it. Um, and this time it took a lot longer before I felt that level of clarity, but it eventually came, and it's helped. Uh, it's helped everything so much. Um, and yeah, I, I I see people. I sit around and I watch people having a few too many, and man, I feel sad for them and i'm like embarrassed for myself knowing how many times i had had way too much and thought i was like 
funny or witty or being smooth or cool or something like that and uh, was just impaired and had unearned confidence and uh, and just all the stuff that comes up. Learning about yourself, learning about why you turn to a substance like that and it's ridiculous. I mean, they should teach social skills in school just so people aren't, you know, that was a big part. I was so shy and I wanted to talk more to people and talk to girls and have more friends. And, you know, I think a lot of people are in that boat when, when they kind of turn to alcohol to loosen them up around others. And those are just skills that, uh, that are better learned, um, sober. You got to do it eventually. Um, I mean, and, and now there's a million resources to learn those skills with the internet and different courses and training and specialized therapists and this and that and gosh if I could go back in time I would be like Shane if you're that scared of like making a move on ladies just get a prostitute or something think of how much money I would rather than rather than getting blackout drunk enough to go and approach a girl because I don't know what to do just do anything else other than other than get yourself hammered enough to like work up the courage to do the thing that you want to do uh it it's it's so st- it, in in the like telling myself that it would like loosen me up on stage or whatever is just so stupid i look back and it's just so many burnt bridges um that i have because of of my alcohol issues that that i in my head i was telling myself it was like making me funnier or something Ugh, alcohol oh whatever you know i i had i had some good times Hopefully, you know, I think people recover pretty well. I feel great. Hopefully I didn't do too much permanent damage to myself. I sometimes wonder how smart I would be right now. You know, I get, I get smarter and smarter and feel more on top of life. The, the more distance that I have from alcohol and, and just think about the arrested development that I had because of alcohol. Ah, I can't think about that too much, but um, I, I do, I do hope that the other thing, like hard alcohol is so crazy. It's one thing if you're one of those people out there that can like go and and have like a brandy once a week and like just sip on one and taste it and you have like a sophisticated palate and know what you're tasting. But like doing shots and stuff, that's, that's a difference. Like having a beer or two is one thing, but doing shots, that's the difference between like having a having a, a cup of coffee or two or doing like lines of cocaine or, or smoking crack or something like that. It's, it's just such a huge, just super saturated, it, it just uh, so unnatural way of, of consuming that substance and impairing yourself. And, uh, so yeah, um, Anyway, I, I don't I don't mean to be the cliche guy of you know, I quit smoking and now everyone else needs to, but 
It is funny. You just have a, a, a much more objective view once you, once you have some space and some time away from it. And uh, it's, you know, it's all it's all things that got me where I am today, I guess. But um, when I think about things that I would go back and tell myself in the past, those are those are the big things. I'd I'd slap that cigarette out of my hand, that first cigarette out of my hand, and uh, I don't know. I I think I think me and alcohol, we were doomed from the get go. So. So yeah, I don't know. So I'm I'm sharing that with you guys. Hope it's not too preachy. Hope hope maybe some of you appreciate it out there. I don't know, but that's where I'm at right now. So I'm excited. I'm releasing more of these more of these podcasts. So that's exciting, and uh, hope you get to see stand up science soon. Libro.fm offer code here we are to get your first three months for the price of one of audiobooks, and the great courses plus slash here we are take some online courses first month is free with that here we are url i've been taking so many courses i'm taking one on personality right now it's so good it's so mind-blowing i'm going to be talking about it more um coming up but you know we've talked about the big five personality indicator many times on on the podcast i'm gonna have so much more to say in future episodes um when when i have personality researchers on the show thanks to the great courses plus.com slash here we are so check it out those of you that listen all the way to the end you are of course my favorites